Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast for another dose of NHL news, headlines and all in between my absolutely favorite listener. After back-to-back weeks of guest episodes, we are going to go back to our normal routine and this week's mantra will include analysis on the early season now that the teams have played 50-20 to games respectively, which means that we are almost a quarter away from the start of the NHL regular season. We will take a look at some teams that have so far exceeded expectations, as well as some that haven't got that start that many expected, while also checking out a few players that have stood out in the early season. So pretty basic schedule up ahead, and in the coming weeks we are also going to take the first glance at the NHL affiliate prospects, and how their seasons have begun before we get closer to the upcoming U20 World Championship tournament. But that is going to be the x-ray for this week's episode, and now that the beat is slowly starting to appear from the background, it will mean that the episode is officially about to start, so without further ado, let's get going. And so we begin yet again. NHL update ahead and this week we are going to start from the trade front since we've seen few trades since the last update and even though most of them are not any major ones, I will include them despite that fact so that we get back on track on that front. On October 26th, Chicago made two deals as first they dealt their former first round pick Nicolas Baudin to Montreal in exchange for forward prospect Cam Hillis and later acquired minor league defenseman Cooper Sack from Philadelphia in exchange for forward Evan Barrett. As mentioned, Baudin was Chicago's first round pick in 2018 and was expected to take up a spot in their top four in the coming years. As more offensive minded blue liner but so far, he has only played 22 games in the NHL with subpar results and his last year's performance in the AHL probably accelerated this move which saw him moving elsewhere. He still has potential to become a full-time NHLer, I have no doubts about that, but now that he's in the Habs organization that task has become even harder to accomplish when looking at the recent surges of Albert Chekaj, Jordan Harris and Kaden Gouli to their blue line. We'll see if he earns some playing time up top this year and if Hillis is able to get back to AHL level after spending some time in the East Coast Hockey League. Evan Barrett, on the other hand, has somewhat struggled on the professional level and his offensive output from the NCAA surely hasn't transferred to AHL, where he's only been able to put up 42 points in 93 games for the Rockford Icehawks. I myself thought that he was going to be a part of the next wave in Chicago after his tremendous 18-19 season, but the gunpowder so far has been wet and the NHL dream is slowly starting to fade away if he doesn't find another gear to his game in Lehigh Valley. So hopefully he's able to find that offensive knack in his new environment and we can finally see him on the NHL level this year with the Flyers. Meanwhile, Cooper Sack will be a depth option for the Hawks, so I think there's no need to speculate about his role in this deal further than that. To me these two moves were fairly surprising since one could think that these two could be on the doorstep of the NHL given Chicago's current situation and especially what is going to be at the end of the season but I guess they have this thing under control and the side for the future is bright and clear so I'm not going to question that any more than that. 
But all in all, somewhat surprising deals, both of these, as I said. Then was Vancouver's time to get their piece of the trade cake as they dealt away Michael DiPietro and the signing rights of their Swedish prospect Jonathan Murenberg in exchange for former first-round pick Jack Studnicka from Boston. The next day, they also addressed their blue line issue by acquiring Ethan Bear from the Carolina Hurricanes, and alongside him, journeyman Lane Peterson was also headed to British Columbia in exchange for 2023 fifth-round draft pick. First, let's take a look at the deal involving Studnicka and DiPietro, since both guys are quite interesting players to look at since both were highly touted prospects coming from the OHL. Studnicka was to some the top prospect of the Bees organization, but after getting drafted in the second round and annihilating the OHL with his production, his numbers haven't translated to the professional level and therefore has seen his stock decreasing year by year in their system. The Bees front office thought that they had seen his upside or just didn't see fit for him in their lineup long term and were willing to part ways with him. And by acquiring him, the Canucks are hoping to fire his real NHL potential that we saw in the OHL. I can only hope that he finally finds his offensive groove in a struggling Canucks lineup because I've had high hopes for him since his draft year and I really thought that he would have the top 6 upside on the next level but so far he hasn't reached those expectations and I can safely say that I'm not the only one with this thought since the Beast fans have also impressed their frustration regarding his situation with the organization. It also has to be said that since the Bruins have been so competitive through the past four years, it hasn't been the easiest job for him to break into that top six, where at least the first line has been pretty much locked in. But that is not an excuse by any means since he has had his chances up top, and unfortunately, the results speak for themselves. Is this move going to change anything though, is my question since as I said the Canucks are in desperate situation where they need to address their current issues and finding a spot from their lineup in order for Studnika to fulfill his potential isn't on the forefront of their to-do list, and therefore he could find himself from the waivers again if he doesn't impress their front office fairly quickly. And when it comes to DiPietro, this move doesn't really change that much since he's been stuck in the AHL behind their starter Thatcher Demko for the past three years, just like he was when Markstrom was their number one option in goal, and thus hasn't seen too much action on the NHL level since getting drafted in the third round. He was once seen as one of the brightest Canadian goalie prospects on the planet, but seemingly that hype has died down, given that he's only suited up for three NHL games since year 2018, and many have expected better numbers from him from the AHL. And as we know, expectations for top prospects are quite tremendous on the next level, and given that goalies tend to take few more years than skaters, he's had a tough ride on the professional level thus far. But on that same note, I would also say that his story isn't totally written yet given exactly that fact. Some goalies tend to take years before making their impact on the professional ice, and for the most part, goalies live a life of their own, which no one can pretty much predict, so... Best is just to hope and pray that they become what the team has asked for when drafting them. It's going to be tough though to break into B starting too, given that Swayman is seen as their future number one option and Ulmark is currently the top net miner in the league stat-wise, so the outlook isn't that good currently, 
but future is always full of uncertainty so I would say that there's still a chance where he becomes an NHL regular but we'll see what the change brings to his game overall. Then when it comes to Ethan Bear's addition to Vancouver's blue line, it should improve their current backline given that they have rotated multiple different names on their third pairing and certainly he won't be the biggest liability on that backline. His playing time was on the cards in Carolina and this was a smart move for them to alleviate some cap space before Pacioretty makes his debut on their lineup and it doesn't hurt their game that much given that Jalen Chatfield and Dylan Coughlin have stepped up to take the remaining spots on their third pairing. He won't be the Rainmaker addition for the Canucks which they seemingly are in desperate need of but this certainly helps them lock up their own end and hopefully bring some stability for the remainder of the season. And we are going to talk more about their situation in just a minute so we are going to move past that for now. But those were the trades that have gone down so far since the last update and on the waiver front we've also seen quite a lot of movement so let's quickly check those out before we move on to analyze the early season's winners and the biggest losers. Lucas Sedlak is the first name on our waiver list who was claimed by the Flyers and ever since has played fairly well under his former and current head coach John Tortorella. The next day though, the Avs filled up that spot by claiming Dryden Hunt from the Rangers and just like Sedlak, he has fitted nicely to Avalanche's bottom six with his high effort playstyle. Then the Islanders let go of their former first round pick Kiefer Bellows who has failed to fill the expectations in Long Island and now gets another go in the city of brotherly love with his new teammates. He was really in need of scenery change and I'm happy that it finally happened since I really thought that Wallstrom and Bellows would be their next young wingers for the future but to this point only one of them has shown flashes of that so hopefully in a new environment he gets more ice time in the bright lights and gets to showcase his high level shot from the wing. Next on the wire was Toronto's this year's step addition Nick Aubekubel, who was headed to Washington next. There he will most likely earn more ice time given the injury situation in nation's capital. And then we have Rudolf Spalsers who did not have as lengthy stay in Florida as I had previously expected. He didn't have to travel too far though since the Bolts acquired him just last week and I still expect to see some improvements in his game this year even though the team he plays for isn't going to be the Panthers. The Kraken also claimed back Magnus Helberg from Ottawa and lastly Tyson Jost was claimed off the waivers by the Sabres a few days ago but that's all when it comes to waivers from the last couple of weeks. On the injury front we've seen quite a lot of movement and some teams have been struck harder than others while quite a few players have already been outlined for the rest of the regular season due to different injuries so just like every year the month of November is usually one of the busier months of the NHL calendar when it comes to IR news. So let's check the most notable ones before we jump to analyze teams' performances from the early season. Columbus has for sure been the team that has seen more players entering the IR than they would have ever wanted since currently. Their IR list holds names such as Justin Danforth, Jack Warensky, Patrick Laine and Jacob Voracek. Wierenski and Danforth are pretty surely done for the season due to torn labrums. Meanwhile Laine will be sidelined approximately one month due to a ankle injury. While the timetable for Voracek's return is pretty much in the air so you shouldn't expect to see drastic changes in their game in the next coming weeks or even months. 
Merzlikins is also battling with a minor injury, so add that on top of their cake as well. And you start to get why I just said that. Liquid IR list also features names Josh Norris, whose injury won't require surgery after all and might get back on the ice later in the spring if all goes well, but currently it is still unknown if he's able to make his comeback during the 22-23 campaign. Jamie Drysdale is also expected to miss significant time due to a torn labrum, meaning that he will be sidelined for months from the Ducks' back end. Connor Brown's broken ACL is most likely going to require surgery, and he might be out for the season, which isn't good news for the Caps. And not to sound arrogant, but I might have mentioned Brown's injury history in the season previous when I covered the Caps, and unfortunately his track record remained unchanged this year again, so it's an unfortunate news for the Caps and Brown himself since they are already battling with a lot of injuries, so this didn't help the team on that front one bit. In Toronto, one of the talking points during the early season has been their blue line, and one of the main concerns has been Jake Muzzin's health. Since a couple weeks back, he suffered a cervical spine injury, and in addition to that, there is growing concern regarding his head injuries, which might see him retiring way sooner than one might think. So this situation throws another rock on the road for the Leafs on their journey to the playoffs, and thus the rumors surrounding Chikrin's possible arrival in Toronto have appeared to headlines of Toronto's newspapers. We're most likely going to hear something regarding his situation within this season, and that will most likely affect the team's heading depending on the seriousness of these rumors and his health long term. And it's never nice to hear about head traumas, but they are unfortunately more often than not part of a high-speed physical game. So hopefully he gets the right treatment he needs and is able to decide on his future with professional guidance in this case. Detroit's Philip Sedina is also going to miss months after blocking a shot a couple weeks back, which is bad news for his reconciliation campaign. Andre Palat is also sidelined for the next two months due to a groin injury. And same timetable is set for Mason Appleton, who suffered an upper body injury. Meanwhile, Valerie Nichuskin, Jonathan Drouin, Curtis McDermott, and Tanner Pearson will miss also the following one to two months due to upper and lower body injuries. In addition to all that, Teuvo Teravainen, Freddie Anderson, Alex Ayafalo, and Jonathan Bernier have undisclosed timetables for their returns. Meanwhile, Seth Jones is expected to make his return to Blackhawks uniform in the early December. Last week, we also saw a horrendous incident where Edmonton's Evander Kane wrist was cut by a skate blade, but fortunately he was treated right after the incident and was rushed to a hospital, so a critical situation was avoided in this case, but he will still miss the next three to four months due to it and will return to the Oilers lineup closer to the end of the regular season. And as the last note regarding injuries, Dallas's goaltender Scott Wedgwood was also stretched off the ice after making a breakaway save. And it was said that he sustained a lower back injury in the collision, so I wish him a speedy recovery and that he's able to make his return to their crease sooner rather than later. Some of the guys who were mentioned in the season preview still remain in the long-term injured reserve list, and for most... The timetables are set either to the end of the regular season or until the offseason, but I will keep you posted if major changes happen on this front. You don't have to worry about that at all. But all in all, expected results from the first 20 or so games where teams start to battle more and more with injuries 
which is an unfortunate fact but almost inevitable occurrence in this sport so hopefully guys can make quick recoveries and in the meantime the call-ups make good impressions during their stints but when it comes to injury coverage that is about it for this week next we will head to analyze the results from the early season and look through teams for major letdowns as well as surprises so at least if you are cheering for the Canucks at this point I would advise you to sit down comfortably and grab the stress ball since we are going to talk about that organization in just a few minutes and just before we move on I gotta address this Mitchell Miller situation since the Bruins did really fuck up on that front no cap like how do you end up signing a guy that was a known bully for years and was released by another team for that exact reason since he didn't have the right to be selected in the draft in the first place taking into account his history and second of all I'm pretty damn sure that those guys in the big office didn't do any background checks before his signing and release because they probably thought that this thing was buried a long time ago and if you haven't read anything regarding this thing in a nutshell Miller was a straight up a-hole during his school years since he bullied a disabled African-American kid for years and just as he signed his initial deal with the Bruins he reached out to the victim to tell that he was sorry for all what had happened but if you read the response from the victim you understand that just a quick DM saying you were sorry wouldn't cut at this point and it was almost hilarious how Miller thought that he could dodge this mess just by sending out almost a must sorry dude text to cover his ass but fortunately that wasn't really the case and to be honest I hope that he doesn't find his way to the NHL or even the AHL ever it was just nauseating to read about his actions and how he had handled the whole case afterwards or actually how he didn't so in this case I gotta give it to the beast leadership group who fumbled the ball big time this time around like you can't be that ignorant to think that no one's gonna notice on this day and age and if the player is straight up loser as a human his stats and projection don't matter at that point one bit so why even bother giving him a look and more than that to not do any research at least they made the right choice when they got his deal short but once even your players start to comment on such a situation you know that you've effed up because that should be none of their business since they are not in that locker room with them but kudos to Burgi for stating the obvious when asked about this incident but major L for the beast on this one and if you haven't read anything about this thing I would advise you to do so just so that you can get an idea of what I'm talking about here because otherwise it won't make that much sense since I don't want to go into details of what happened because after all it's a sensitive topic for the victim and you can find his full statement from the internet yourself without too much hassle but that's it regarding this incident just wanted to share my opinion on this case because it really shook the hockey world and for a good reason so go check it out and now I'm finally ready to move on to our early season analysis and since the bees are already on the table why wouldn't we start from their results straight away since many did write them off straight from the start given their injury woes and the fact that their core has aged so much since their glorious Stanley Cup days but the fact currently is that the team is a wagon and on its way to another postseason appearance as the top team in the east 
Pasta is moving the dot on his new deal with the way he's scoring. Ulmark is stopping pucks like never before. Hampus Lindholm has become last deadline's biggest steal and Patrice Bergeron is aging like a vintage red wine. So currently it's looking really, really good for the beast on the icy surface. David Krejci's return has been nothing but impressive and the team has found depth scoring from their bottom six. And defensively, they've been extremely solid as well. Nick Foligno has bounced back from his last year's slump offensively. Off-season addition Pavel Zaka has impressed in the early season with his offense. AJ Greer has finally found his spot in the NHL and has impressed with his physical presence. Meanwhile, Connor Clifton has become one of their more reliable two-way blue liners and took some pressure off of Lindholm, Carlo and the rest in the absence of Charlie McAvoy and Matt Grizzlick. The real win for them though were the early returns of both McAvoy and Grizzlick, but also Brad Marchand who ended up returning to their lineup one month before previously expected date. And all guys have made their impacts on the ice already and have helped the team to climb on top of the Eastern Conference. Especially getting Grizzly back in their lineup earlier than expected has made a big difference since he was expected to be out approximately the same time as McAvoy but he ended up missing only about 5 games from the start of the season. And now that all these guys are back in their lineup the Bees are even more frightening team than they already were. So in conclusion right now it's looking like those people who wrote them off before the season have to start eating their words since this team looks dialed in right now and I'm more than sure that they will bolster their lineup before the deadline. So at least currently the outlook is looking brighter than many thought before the season but there's still lots of hockey to be played so we'll see how things turn out once the new year reveals itself. Next team I want to talk about is the other top team in the East and that is the New Jersey Devils. And I gotta say that I've been surprised by their performance myself since I didn't see them as a playoff team yet despite their new additions. But so far it does look like they are really in the running for a playoff spot and could challenge the best teams in the East if they end up making the playoffs. Last year was a total disaster for them and some of the blame can be directed to injuries which especially shook their crease but so far offseason addition Vanacek has stood out with his performance and has somewhat taken a stranglehold of their blue paint partially thanks to Blackwood's injury and young guys such as Hughes, Heeshear and the new guy Fabian Sederland have taken next steps regarding their game and most of all Jesper Brad has continued right where he left off last year and has recorded unbelievable numbers from the early season. Dougie Hamilton has also bounced back offensively and Ryan Graves has been the rock on the back end alongside Jonas Siegenthaler. So things are looking pretty good in Jersey currently. But for some reason I just have a feeling that this isn't going to last the remaining 60 or so games. And I know that I might be 100% wrong on this one but to me their goaltending just isn't sufficient enough to be on top of the East when you consider the past few years of both of their netminders. Average is the word to describe it at best. Blackwood has already been hit with injuries and he hasn't been out worldly between the pipes. And although Vanicek has had good seasons in DC, I'm not completely sold on a starting role in the NHL. If he proves me wrong, I might eat my words like a big boy, but until that happens, 
Just remember what I said. Also, their defense has been really questionable, to say the least, the past couple of seasons. And now it has pretty much just done a complete 180. And it isn't that worrying anymore. All it needed was John Marino and now it's all good. Once again, I have my doubts. Although they've been the best defensive team in the league so far, if my stats are correct, but you may correct me if I'm wrong on that one. But just 15 or so games ago, after a two-game losing streak, Miles Wood came out with a statement that said that something needed to change within the organization since he was tired of losing and now they just seemingly don't lose games anymore. Is it really that easy, huh? I don't know what to tell you other than I really hope that their decor keeps things in check, but only one or two injuries might be all it takes for the dominoes to start falling. Just saying. I don't want to bash this team since they've had their struggles and I would really like them to succeed, but I just can't see this team doing it for a long period of time, that's all. They are not seasoned team who has battled for playoff spots at the end of the regular season and they haven't been in the playoffs since how long. They have excellent elements in their game and they are only getting better once time passes but currently I just think that they have overachieved and just like the Sabres have done in previous years, this flying will stop at some point and then the reality hits. And I really don't believe them to fall as hard as Sabres have but I don't expect to see them on top of the East once the postseason rolls around. Right now I could see them in the playoffs 100% but those who have already signed and sealed their home advantage for the playoffs, I would want to wait on that one before the witch hunt starts again. And that is a reference to Devils fans and Linda Ruff, if you didn't catch my drift. So all I'm saying is that I'm positively surprised by their performance thus far and I'm glad I've been completely off with my prediction, but on the same time, I have a strange feeling that this isn't going to fly and they are going to fall back down to earth once the calendar flips and then we start to discuss about their decisions on the deadline regarding their playoff look. But great results so far, so let's hope that it stays that way and you can start to roast me in my DMs. Also greetings to Imi who has probably run out of tissues while watching the results from the Devils games. Then I would like to head west where the teams that I would like to look into are the Jets and the Kraken. And since we talked about the Devils just moments ago, I would like to comment on Kraken's early season right after since I feel like they are in a pretty similar situation success-wise. And just like the Devils, the Kraken have been solid cohesively and really not one player stands out from the crowd if you count out Andrei Burakovsky's point total. And in a perfect world, this team would be right in the middle of the division with such scoring stats. No elite goaltending. Offense pretty average stat-wise and defense has been just sufficient so how are they currently in the third place is a major riddle for many. But pretty much the answer is that other teams behind them have underperformed aka the Flames and the Oilers not to mention the Canucks who have been absolute trash this year. Matthew Benier started well his first full season but has recently slowed down a bit. And as many expected, we are going to have a very juicy color race before the season is over. But like I said, they've had a very decent start which has exceeded many fans' expectations, but I firmly believe that once the Flames and the Oilers get their game rolling more smoothly, 
they take over this team and it's going to be another 500 year for the newest expansion team. It would be pretty awesome to see them in the playoffs, but at least in my mind, high draft picks are way more important for them in the long run. So focus on delivering in the offseason, but I don't mind seeing them so high up in the rankings this early. And then when it comes to the Jets, honestly, I'm pleasantly surprised. As I mentioned in the season preview episode, I was expecting Hellebuck to bounce back from previous year and that has really been the case since currently he has been elite so far and rocks similar numbers to league leader Linus Olmark, so not much else can be expected from him going forwards. Their new head coach Rick Bonus has really changed up things in Winnipeg and it has paid dividends in their young season, so this team should be able to fight for available playoff spots even if they would end up sliding bid in the standings. Their D-men have really stepped up and for example Josh Morrissey is currently rocking over point per game pace and I'm not expecting that to be sustainable but still it's remarkable change on that front as well from last year's subpar performance. And they've done that pretty much without Nikolai Ehlers who has only played two games this year and unfortunately is not expected to make his return to their lineup anytime soon due to a sport hernia surgery. Their entire top 6 has been very solid as well and overall this team has looked as complete as it did a couple years ago when they battled for the top spots in the central division so I anticipate their expectations to grow the further we go towards the playoffs but extremely solid start for them nevertheless and I'm glad to see the team performing on such a high level after so many doubts attached to their future during the offseason. That doesn't mean though that the back is secure for the future yet since if the problem wasn't their former head coach Paul Maurice, all the uncertainties still remain inside their locker room. So until we see constant results out of Winnipeg and signs that the culture has really started to change, we remain on watch and I will keep tabs on this team since the NHL is an unpredictable and many times unforgiving league when it decides to be that. But when it comes to biggest letdowns, the team that has had the worst start to their season related to expectations has been hands down the Vancouver Canucks. 15 points in 18 games is not what many expected ahead of the season and although they've slowly started to claw their way back to being relevant, it's not going to be an easy task to find a place from the postseason with such performances. They started their season with 7 straight losses and many believe that changes were inbound in BC after such a woeful start, but they have somewhat got their game together where they've been able to claim some wins in the last 10 games and thus have improved their placement in the Pacific Division. Thatcher Demko has had a woeful start to his season stat-wise and his .874 save percentage has to improve if they aim to make the playoffs, and I would say overall their defense has been lackluster through the first 18 games which has been their problem through the past few campaigns. Offensively, JT Miller had also a bad start to his season, but currently is rocking almost a point per game pace, so he's slowly bouncing back to a level we expect. While Elias Pedersen has been their offensive leader, and the big surprise numbers-wise this year has been Bo Horvat, who is playing for his next contract, and so far has registered 14 goals and 6 assists in 18 games, so he could be looking at Matthew Bursell's contract when it's time to start signing the next sheet for the future. 
Andrei Kuzmenko has had a smooth transition to the NHL ice despite being benched in one game, but 13 points in 17 games is very respectable and hopefully he can keep his pace since it would really help the Canucks on their guest for another playoff appearance. No one really seems to know what caused this early season hiccup since the team has improved ever since they were able to cut their losing streak and currently it seems like the defensive side of the puck is their biggest weakness, which needs addressing if they want to challenge for a playoff spot at the end of the regular season. So overall a very slow start which could cause some problems in the long run since after all they were only able to gather two points from those first seven games and that is a lot to give up so early in the season so we'll see if they have the fight in them to push everything out of their tank when the games start to mean even more later during this year's campaign. Another team that has had its struggles has been the St. Louis Blues who recently have started to tighten up the screws results-wise as well, but are still nowhere near what many, me included, expected from this team ahead of the season. Currently 6-8-2 and, and many of their leading members have really underperformed, which has resulted in them dropping to the bottom half of the central division. Colton Pareko has been a ghost of his former self, Jordan Cairo has been coughing with his offensive production. Ryan O'Reilly's stat column was really hard to look at just a couple games ago. And Tory Crook's numbers are not where they need to be as their blue line's offensive leader. Add to that Jordan Binnington's subpar performances and we end up in a situation where they currently are. But as I said, they've started to claw their way back to the top half of the conference and are currently in a 5-game winning streak, so... Expect to see similar results in the future as well since this team shouldn't be fighting against the bottom feeders of the league at any point of the season, at least in my opinion. So in conclusion, very slow start for the notes as well, but as of late have started to turn their heading for the rest of the regular season and just wanted to point this team out due to their extremely slow start related to expectations. One team that I've also been disappointed in has been the Ottawa Senators who are currently last in the Atlantic Division with only 13 points from their 16 games. And with the way Habs, Sabres and the Red Wings have been able to take home points, they could be looking towards another lottery in the offseason. Since although they've added names to their roster this summer and seemingly the core has strengthened from last year with the addition of Cam Talbot to their crease, the team has yet to find the next gear and are struggling to get back to 500 in the competitive Eastern Conference. Losing Josh Norris to an injury was a major setback for the team, but at least still on paper, they should have competitive enough squad to be battling with every team in this league, but that has yet to be the case. They've been horrendous defensively, Nikita Saitsev is on his way out of Ottawa, and Thomas Shabbat doesn't look ready to take the throne on their blue line. And overall regarding this team, you can't blame the goaltending too much since since returning to their crease, Talbot has recorded 0.921 save percentage and Forsberg was able to put up 0.904 save percentage in first 11 games. So clearly the weakness is their back end. So that should be fixed as soon as possible if they want to win any meaningful games this year. Since the competition is extremely tough in the East this year, as I've stated multiple times already in this episode. Offensively, the big dogs have done their part and the biggest difference maker this year 
expectations-wise has been their rookie Jake Sanderson, who has been outstanding by recording 9 points in 16 games while looking like a seasoned veteran on their back end. So if the Sens are waiting for him to fill Eric Carlson's shoes on their back end, they won't be contending this year, since at this point I would almost say that we've seen what Thomas Shabbat is able to offer and isn't the guy to lead their blue line, so the hope is that Sanderson will be the guy to take the team's decor to the next level. But all in all, tough start for the team, expectations are way higher, and I can only hope that they improve since I had them in the playoffs in my season predictions. So the last six or so games will tell much about this team's future without a doubt. Currently, the Ducks, Blue Jackets, Sharks, Yotes and the Sabres alongside Sens are the bottom feeders of the league, while Detroit, Dallas and the Flyers have been the more surprising teams of the early season. Islanders have bounced back nicely from last season as well, meanwhile Minnesota and Calgary have been struggling more than many expected and could be in trouble if the West ends up being as competitive as it's been through the past couple of years. Montreal as well has surprised some fans with their performance and are much higher than many expected beforehand. But we still have 60 or so games to play, so a lot can happen already before we switch to year 2023. But so far, those have been the teams that have stood out the most, and before we end the episode, I want to shout out a few players that have impressed with their early season success. As I mentioned already in this episode, Linus Ulmark and Connor Hellebuck have been the standouts in the Kohler department, but similarly, Jake Ottinger has been impressive between the pipes for the stars, and the newcomer Logan Thompson has taken over the crease in Vegas with his stellar performances. Carter Hart's numbers have come down a bit from the start due to Philly's five-game losing streak, but still he has kept them afloat at times, and enabled the Flyers to battle four points in close games. Also, Alexander Georgiev has been extremely solid behind Avalanche's defense, and as mentioned, Vitek Vanecek has impressed in the blue paint for the Devils. And of course, my nominee for the Vesna, Ilya Sorokin, has pretty much been as good as advertised. Stuart Skinner has been the more reliable option for the Oils in the first part of the season, while his counterpart Jack Campbell has been atrocious, and not what the Oilers expected to acquire when they signed him to his new contract this summer. Pyotr Kochetkov is slowly claiming the backup role in Carolina, to himself thanks to stellar performances in few starts. Spencer Knight is starting to show that he really is the future netminder in Florida, while Freddie Anderson, Mackenzie Blackwood, Thatcher Demko, Jacob Markstrom, Tristan Jarry, and Andrei Vasilevsky have lots of room to improve related to expectations. Skater-wise, the more surprising names on top of the scoring table are Eric Carlson, who has yet again found his elite offensive gear to his game, but as a defenseman, you can't ignore his defensive contribution, which has been nowhere to be found, but that is at this point pretty expected from him. And although 28 points in 20 games is way more than many expected and extremely impressive as a whole, I don't know how many teams have cap space to acquire 11.5 million for the next 5 years, so... At least I would push the brakes on his trade rumors since that is a major long-term investment if some team is willing to acquire his offensive talents for the foreseeable future. San Jose would have to retain some salary that goes without saying, but still it's going to be a heavy load to carry on your contract front, 
So I wouldn't necessarily expect to see him elsewhere despite his admirable point total. But we'll see what eventually happens. Another name that will surprise many is Montreal's Nick Suzuki, who has notched 23 points in his first 18 games and is slowly starting to attain the new age Patrick Bergeron claims that were said once he came into the league. Since his defensive game is already extremely strong on the league-wide level, and now that we've started to see improvements in his point total, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in the Selkie conversation in the next coming years, if not already this year. Jack Eichel has also rebounded to elite scoring form. Rope Hintz and Jason Robertson have continued where they left off last year, and same goes with Dylan Larkin, who has really taken over the score sheet in Detroit. Carolina's Martin Natchez has also impressed by racking up 22 points in 18 games, and is starting to become the player many expected to see before his draft. Previous scoring leader Valery Nichuskin came out the gates running before his injury, but is still expected to keep his strong form once he makes his comeback. Dominic Kubelik has blossomed again in Detroit and is currently rocking over a point per game pace. And Rasmus Dalin has been impressive offensively on the Sabres backline and is slowly creeping towards the Norris conversation. Nico Hischier has found his offensive groove in Jersey after a few injury riddle seasons. Tage Thompson has really become one of the more lethal scorers in the league. Travis Konechny has been the offensive leader for the Flyers in the early season. Brandon Montour has become the Mackenzie Weger replacement in Florida, while names such as Mikhail Sergachev, Tim Stutzle, Trevor Segres, Trevor Moore, Kirby Dock, Josh Morrissey, and Gabe Villardi have surprised many with their point totals for their respective teams. Dock has really benefited from a change of scenery and has quickly found chemistry with their other young guns, Caulfield and Suzuki, just like many has fans dreamed, me included. Trevor Moore's momentum has carried over from last year and he has taken over a bigger piece of their offensive cake alongside Villardi, who already last year showed glimpses of his possible upside after coming back from major injuries. And it surprised me when I saw Morris's name so high on the scoring table for the first time since, although I've seen him as a more offensively oriented D-man, I couldn't have expected these kinds of results from him taking into account his previous point totals, but good for him and let's hope he keeps this momentum going. Dallas's duo of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan have also had extremely good starts to their season and have really contributed to their strong start. And as the last names I want to point out from the first 20 or so games are Dylan Strom, who has benefited from the extra ice time in Washington, my guy Eetu Luostarinen, whose offense has struck many fans this year alongside his great defensive instincts, while young guns Shane Pinto and Owen Tippett have found the score sheet yet again this year with the respective organizations. Rookie-wise, Matthias Macelli has been impressive for the Yotes and is really gaining some traction league-wide, which I'm happy about. And also, while not being a rookie, Yuso Valimäki has impressed since his move away from Calgary. And I'm really glad to see that his upside has started to show again after a few tough seasons under Daryl Sutter. Seattle's Matthew Beniers has cooled off a bit, as I said, but has created scoring chances on monthly basis for the Kraken, and I still expect to see him raise his point total from his current stat line. Buffalo's duo-off J.J. Paterka and Owen Power has been impressive in the early season. Winnipeg's Cole Perfetti is going to be in the Calder conversation if he keeps on delivering for the Jets, 
and Nashville's use of Patterson has blown away the Preds fans with his performance in his first NHL games. Also, Anaheim's Mason McTavish and Columbus's Ken Johnson have impressed with their output, and it finally seems that Minnesota's Kalen Addison is claiming his spot in the Wilds' back six. On the flip side, though, Jonathan Huberdeau, Andrew Mangiapane, Teuvo Terabainen, Anthony Beauvillier, Brian Rust, and Chris Letang have somewhat struggled offensively in the early part of the season, and most of these guys know that this is not the level they are expected to keep once the page turns to year 2023. In addition, the situation in Edmonton regarding names Pugliarvi and Yamamoto is becoming increasingly volatile since both guys have underperformed to this point and for them the depth scoring has become a real problem again, which on the other hand shouldn't surprise no one when looking at their previous two seasons. And because it's pretty much a tale of two names, I really expect to see one of these guys to change location before the regular season is over and it could come down to individual performance within the next 40 or so games, so keep your eyes on the situation in Edmonton. And the last point I want to make is Quinton Byfield's future in LA since currently the team is extremely competitive and there are no open spots for freeloaders inside their top 9, but once again Byfield was assigned to their AHL affiliate last week, so is their GM Rob Blake slowly starting to evaluate his future in the organization since we haven't seen any measurable results from him on the next level, so if the Kings end up putting all their eggs in one basket before the deadline, could he become expendable if they aim to land a big-time addition before the playoffs? Just wanted to throw that out there since the worry surrounding his NHL upside is slowly growing, even though we know his talents and what the best outcome could look like given his huge frame and skill set. But we'll see, another intriguing fact to follow for the rest of the regular season. But that is going to be the coverage from the early part of the NHL season. I could have gone more in-depth with many other teams and players as well, but I decided to keep things pretty light today since we got plenty more games to play, and more than anything, Time to talk about those guys who really didn't get the spotlight in this week's episode, so don't worry, we are going to cover a lot more NHL action in the coming weeks and months, as many of you could expect, thanks to the nature of this podcast. But that will pretty much wrap up this week's episode, it was nice to do a quick checkup on the NHL after a few totally different episodes, but as I said, guest episodes are going to be a feature in the future as well and I hope to attain guests on more consistent basis but we'll see how successful I'm going to be on that front. Hope you enjoyed another NHL field episode let me know who have been the teams that have surprised you the most this year and in which you have already lost your faith in looking at the rest of the regular season. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see what the topic will be for next week. I wish you a great rest of the week nevertheless. And remember to go check out the social media pages mentioned in the description because there I will be posting updates on the future episodes. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.